Our second reading this morning, as alluded to in the children's moment, is a story from the book of Acts. Acts, of course, documents those first Christians, even though they would not have called themselves Christians because that wasn't a word yet. They were followers of the way, followers of this Jesus. Acts documents the stories of those early followers of Jesus as they try to make sense of what life should look like in the light and in the truth of Easter morning, of the risen Christ. In other words, they are people a lot like us here today. People trying to make sense of what this life should look like. How we are called to live as people who have shouted out only seven days ago, Alleluia, Christ is risen. So friends, let us listen once again for a word from God. As we hear these verses beginning with the 32nd and the 4th chapter of the book of Acts. The author of Luke Acts writes... All the believers were one in heart and mind. Can you all believe that? All the believers were one in heart and mind. That sounds nice. No one claimed, he continues, that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, Facing Resurrection. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, through the work of your spirit, we pray that you might reorient us to face a new direction this day. We pray that this old story of people who lived long ago, who lived lives that were so different and yet so much the same as ours, we pray that through this story you might speak something fresh for our living of these days. Indeed, O God, through your Spirit, we pray that the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight, might be pleasing. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So how'd it go last week? So moved were you by the Easter worship of St. Simon's Presbyterian or a church Like it, did you find yourselves living like these disciples from Acts? Did you skip brunch? Maybe the luncheon? 
leave straight from church last Sunday, go home, change clothes, and head out to East Beach in order to begin doing what they were doing, testifying with great power to all those spring break crowds. Maybe you finally got around to doing what you've been meaning to do for a while now, trade in that car, Subaru, Mazda, Lexus. Traded in for a used school bus so that you could start providing something so needed in our community, public transportation to the poor and to the needy. Maybe you were so moved by Easter Sunday that you got home and realized there's really no need to close the blinds and lock the doors anymore. In fact, it's actually better to leave both things open so that if anyone strolling by sees something inside they need, they can just come in and take it. I'm really hoping someone sold their house this week. If so, I'm going to hear about it from Janine tomorrow morning when she counts the offering. Maybe you were about to walk through the gate of Augusta National And you thought to yourself, these badges could get a lot of money. Maybe I'll auction them off to the highest bidder and give the money to the poor. It's been seven days, seven days since Easter morning. And I wonder if now, finally, the entire church of Jesus Christ is miraculously of one heart and of one mind. How'd it go last week for you? Maybe you were more like Thomas. The lectionary traditionally prescribes the gospel reading, which we're not reading as part of our worship this day, but for the second Sunday of Easter each year, the traditional reading is the story of Thomas. Do you remember that one? It's the disciples soon after the tomb has been discovered to be empty. They are so afraid that they huddle behind a door and lock it. And yet the risen Christ finds a way in through the cracks. And he breathes Holy Spirit on them. And he leaves them with peace. All of them except for Thomas. Who comes home and is quite disappointed to say the least. That he was not there for that rather spectacular event. He simply cannot believe that Easter is true because he did not touch Jesus with his own hands or see Jesus with his own eyes, all because he was not home when Jesus had appeared. Maybe you feel as if you were not home this, perhaps any Easter Sunday. You're back here in church a week later, but nothing has really changed. You know, you've heard the story of the risen Christ, and yet still you are sitting here waiting for that transformation, for that revolution to begin to take root in your own heart, in your own life, in your own church. If there's one thing we can say with absolute certainty based on these verses from Acts. It is that the early Christians, the earliest people following the risen Christ, were utterly and completely transformed 
by the events of that first Easter. According to the author of Luke Acts, they share everything they own. They sell their property. They give away the money. God's grace was so powerfully at work that there were no needy persons among them, the writer says. Now one wonders if there is some hyperbole at play here. But still, still it is clear all these years later that something happened. That something transformational happened that they were changed people. And we, 21st century Christians, listening with ears that are so steeped in Western-style capitalism that it is hard to decipher anything above the loud and discordant sounds that are left ringing in our ears when we hear verses of sharing like this. We are left wondering whether or not living a life like the one described here is even possible for us today. Is it possible to live like this today? Now, as someone who had badges to the Friday round of the Masters this past week, and who did not opt to auction them off and give away the money, I confess that I don't fully know the answer to my own question. And yet as I read this story, I cannot escape escape the challenge that is embedded in it. The challenge to recognize that God's grace is most powerfully at work when we are living not just for ourselves, but also and even foremost for others. That if we are the Thomases here today who are still waiting for that revolution, who are still waiting for Easter to finally hit us square on, to be changed in the same way as those early Christians, then perhaps we need to recognize that sometimes it is our stuff. It is our material and our spiritual stuff that gets in the way of the transformation that we await. That perhaps if we want to be changed, if we want to live anything close to what these disciples are living, we need to start by doing something, by doing anything for someone else. There's a small congregation outside St. Paul, Minnesota, named Christ United Methodist Church. It's a church that has faced some of the changing demographics that so many mainline churches have and are facing. This particular congregation has watched for years as their membership has dwindled from several hundred to just around a hundred. 
they have come to church week after week and noticed on their drive in that the white middle class faces that make up most of the congregation inside their walls no longer looks like the faces that live outside their walls. That what was once a white middle class neighborhood is now a neighborhood that is more like a mosaic of immigrant families. A few years ago, they reached a point where they were no longer able to pay for a full-time pastor. We're truly blessed here to have two full-time pastors because there are many congregations that struggle to have one. They made a choice to move to a part-time pastor at that point in order to survive. And it was that pastor who came in, who assessed the situation, and who borrowed the title of a Tim McGraw song to plot the direction forward for her church. She looked at their congregation and encouraged them to begin living like they are dying. She was interviewed by a local newspaper, and this is what she said. She said, we gave up on survival. We put some of our own stuff aside, in other words. We decided that if our church only had a few more years left, we wanted them to be years of full integrity, of our values lived out. We decided to let the Holy Spirit show us where to go and to follow without reservation. That's a scary thing to follow Holy Spirit without reservation. And that is what they did. First, they looked to the neighborhood elementary school, a school that because of the population it served did not have the manpower or the funds to have much of a parent-teacher organization. And so the church raised their hand to become the parent-teacher organization. They began cooking meals for parents and teachers during parent-teacher conferences. They wrote thank you notes to the teachers each year to thank them personally for how hard they work. When the school needed monies to start a new program, they penned a check for $7,000. They looked out into their neighborhood and they noticed that not everyone living there anymore was Christian. Many were Muslim. And so they decided to begin to get to know their Muslim neighbors. They hosted a dinner for the local Islamic society for their members to sit at table with the members of that society. And through that fellowship, they learned that the Islamic society had a playground for their children that was in disrepair. So the church members raised their hand and picked up their toolboxes and went and fixed their playground. They looked out into their neighborhood and noticed that many of the residents were aging and elderly, people who stayed in their own homes because they had trouble getting out very often. And so they started to host a monthly meal for anyone who would like to come to eat together, to play games, to have fellowship, to build relationships. And an amazing thing happened when they put their own stuff aside. 
when they put the needs of others, those around them, before the needs of themselves. In that same interview, the pastor said, it's amazing because there is now a feeling of hope and of life in our church. Their baptisms now, something they hadn't seen for a long time. Their weddings in their sanctuary now. Their people coming through the doors because they have been so moved and impressed by this congregation's commitment to the world beyond their doors. They're not out of the woods just yet, she will tell you, but there is hope and there is life. And it all began when they set aside their stuff, when they let go of their fear of no longer existing, when they stopped operating from a pure need for survival, when they moved beyond a simple desire just to keep the building running. They've come to know now their neighbors. They've come to know themselves. They've been changed. They've been transformed. And I would say they have been changed and transformed by the one who gives them that hope and that life, the risen Christ. What would that look like for you? What would that look like for us? For this community of faith. One of my favorite movies is Castaway. I understand this is a point of contention for some. Some people have a very hard time getting into a movie where half the dialogue is between Tom Hanks and a volleyball. But I think it's a great movie. As I was reading this story this last week, the final scene from Castaway keep, kept coming back to my mind. Tom Hanks' character, to put it mildly, his life has not exactly gone how he planned. And at the very end of this movie, he's literally standing in a crossroads. Crossroads in the middle of nowhere, Texas, those Texas prairies stretching out to the horizon and he's trying to choose which path to take he faces south and slowly he faces west and he faces east and he faces north like any good movie it doesn't give us the satisfaction of knowing for sure which direction he ultimately goes, but we're left believing that he goes the direction the viewer hopes he will go. I think this story functions in the same way for us. The resurrection is a new path for the disciples. It changes the direction of their lives. It leads them to a place and down a path that they 
never could have imagined themselves going before because never could they have imagined that Christ would walk out of a tomb. I think that's what this story calls us to do as well. It should turn us to face a new path. It should convert us to a way of living that is rooted not only in what is best for me, but even more what is best for others. Now, will we always do it as fully and as completely as the disciples in our story this morning? Probably not. Will even making an attempt to live like those in our story this morning lead us to places that are uncomfortable, lead us to places that we never could have imagined ourselves going before, perhaps never wanted to go before? It probably will. But is it worth it? Is it faithful? Is it necessary? Absolutely. It is, as the poet on the back of our bulletin this morning puts so beautifully, when we turn and face the resurrection, when we are, as the poet puts it, converted to love, when we change all our energies, all our potential into selfless gifts for the other person, then we, we will be changed. But more importantly, through us, God's kingdom will break into the world. Friends, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of the world. May it be so. Amen. Amen. Amen.